Hey guys, it's Heaven from Just a Grown True Crime, and today I'm going to be telling you about this app called Anchor. It helped me start my podcast, and it can help you start yours. Anchor is a free app that lets you use it from your phone or your computer. So if you want to do it on the go, and you want to just record, you can record one. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so much more to get your own podcast out there. You can make money from your own podcast with no minimum listenership. So it's everything you want in just one podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I did. What are you waiting for? All right, guys, welcome back to Just a Girl in True Crime. I'm your host, Heaven. To this afternoon, this evening, early evening, whatever. Um, I said I was coming back back with a back-to-back thing of the final part of the Lacey Peterson and her unborn child Connor murder. I literally probably spent about three hours writing these notes because there was so much to unpack. There was so much to unpack in part two. It was crazy because like I said in the first one, you know... We bring back Amber Frey, and she was a huge, huge, huge key witness in Scott's conviction. So, I have a lot of notes, so so we're going to start right off. See, I told you guys it was coming. You just got to give me a minute. All right. So, picking up right where we left off, guys, let's begin. The Modesto police and firefighters carried out an an extensive search along Dry Creek the day after Lacey disappeared. The search came to include helicopters equipped with searchlights, police mounted on horseback and bicycles, and even canine units, which, okay, I've never heard of a case where police hopped on horses to help search for somebody. It's, that's kind of cool. Um, plus, water rescue units were also on rafts searching water and people started looking for Lacey pretty quickly like it moved super fast there was a total of 30 officers that were involved in the search as well as Lacey's loved ones and volunteers who posted flyers to raise awareness of Lacey's disappearance and at a press conference uh, detective mm-hmm. Al Roncini, I think we mentioned him in the first one, and how I said I would love to have his last name. Still would love to have that last name, Broncini. <laughs> he said <laughs> that police didn't believe that Lacey decided to leave without contacting her family, and that it was totally and completely out of character for Lacey. She had a good relationship mm-hmm. with her mom and her stepdad and her dad and I'm assuming his wife so she had a good relationship it wasn't like where she hated them no she always kept contact sorry if you hear a bag or a computer my husband's up because it's 5 p.m. and I'm waiting for him to make me steak because we don't got kids all right so the initial search and later vigil was organized by the immediate family and friends of Lacey. In the first two days, up to 900 
people were involved in looking for Lacey before the community officers or police were directly participated in the search. And prior to significant media coverage as well. So they were just looking before anything with the media and the police got fully involved. Eventually, eventually Lacey's story attracted nationwide coverage, which makes sense. You know, she's pregnant. She just so happened to be missing. Like, where did she go? Where did she go, Scott? You know. A two... A $25,000 reward was offered and it later increased to $250,000 and then for the final reward, it was raised up to $500,000. That's a lot. And they raised it in hopes to get any information leading to Lacey's safe return. Because they really didn't know much of it, they just knew from what Scott said that he came home from fishing and she was gone so they just didn't know a lot um, posters blue and yellow ribbons and flyers were circulated and the original basic version of the LaceyPeterson.com website was launched by the husband of one of her friends which ugh, I have a problem with this what the hell was Scott doing? I mean, you'll find out what he's doing because I talk about it later. But shouldn't you be doing something, Scott Peterson? Come on. Friends, family, and volunteers, they ended up setting up a command center at a nearby Red Line Hotel to record developments and circulate information as well. Let me take a drink real quick. Shut up, babe. <laughs> I thought you laughed at me. <laughs> Over 1,500 volunteers signed up to distribute information and help search for her. And so, jumping back real quick because I did say I'd go further into Scott and Amber's relationship. And holy hell, there was a lot. I think half my notes are about Amber and Scott because of all the stuff he told Amber and poor Amber over here is believing it he's she's like he has no reason to lie to me no no guys I number the lies okay so lie number one oh we're gonna discuss the lies if you did if I didn't make that clear of what Scott told Amber so lie number one Scott told her he sold farm fertilizer for a company based in Spain and traveled all over the world so much that he never settled down. No wife, no girlfriend, not even a dog. Okay? Lie number two. He said he lived in Sacramento and that he also had a condo in San Diego and that he just, you know found a couple that wanted to purchase the condo furnished with a Land Rover. And Amber over here was like, wow, that's a pretty good deal. I can get a condo in San Diego and I don't have to worry about buying anything because it's already furnished. Huh, what a great guy, Scott. What a great guy you are. 
Keep in mind, Amber had no way of knowing none of this was not true. Scott clearly wasn't single, right? He clearly was married to Lacey. He didn't live in Sacramento. He didn't own a condo in San Diego. The only one detail that was 100% true was that he did have a Land Rover. Anybody want to tell me why? I'll tell you why. Because the Land Rover was Lacey's that he was trying to sell after she disappeared. So that was the only, in that whole statement, that was the only true fact. And poor Amber, like I said, she's over here just believing it. Oh, man. And that was all said on their first date. Like, when they started, like, being romantically involved, he, you know, came out and said all of that. Amber said Scott was a gentleman. He was super sweet, very nice. She, like I said in the first one, she was a single mom. So she probably was feeling lonely and she was like, okay, this guy, you know, takes good care of me, like wants to be in my life and stuff like that. The next time she saw Scott was on December 2nd because he said he was coming to Fresno. We all know he, he lived there, right? Amber said she was excited to see him. He ended up actually going over to Amber's house. He got along great with her two-year-old daughter at the time. It did say a name, but I will not mention the name because you guys know how I am with minors. He then took all of them hiking and he even cooked them dinner. So while Scott's wife, Lacey, was well alive because she didn't go missing until December 24th, he was over here acting like he was having fun in a grand old time and playing house with somebody else who had a daughter while he left his wife home who was seven, eight months pregnant. That's wrong. In Amber's book Witness, Amber writes that she told Scott that same night how much she valued the truth. I get that because, you know, if you don't have trust or truth in a relationship, do you really have anything? No. Like I said, she was completely left in the dark about Scott's... How do I want to put this? Because I wrote this in my notes weird. Oh, okay. She was left completely in the dark about until December 9th. Remember how I said he said he was single, he wasn't married? That's going to come up. On that day, on December 9th, he ended up calling her out of the blue to see if she was home and that he needed to talk to her. He came over to her place and he dropped a bomb. You know, Scott said he wasn't completely honest with her. Okay, here comes lie number three. He said he lost his wife and this would be the first holiday without her Christmas this would be his first Christmas without his wife but she was alive Scott so there he was already thinking of getting rid of his wife in his mind and he just needed to put things into action and you know who I think about this in this case guys we've said it we've said him in the first case 
fucking Chris Watts. I almost said Scott Peterson, but no, <laughs> this case is about Scott Peterson. Chris Watts, because if you remember, Chris said that a couple days before, he already had thoughts in his head of murdering his family. And there was nothing he could change about that. He knew in his mind, um, because I started to listen to The Perfect Father on my Audible um, through Amazon. And it says in the book, when he tucked the girls in that night, he was like, huh, you know, I knew that was going to be the last time I kissed my babies. I tucked my babies in. He knew about that. Same with Scott. He knew he was going to get rid of his wife. So he had to try to cover his tracks. All right. Amber, being the God sent person she is, she didn't end up, she didn't want to pry because she didn't think it was appropriate. Again, which I understand. You don't want to pry too much into some somebody's relationship if you're just starting off like dating and everything. I mean, you're not going to be like, oh, oh my God, what happened? No, you don't want to overstep your bounds. Amber said he was very emotional. It was almost like putting salt on a wound. He was very teary-eyed. And he explained that he was very regretful that he lied to her, but it was actually too painful to discuss the loss of his wife. Scott, once again, your life is alive. All right. As Scott was sitting there right in front of Amber, they were holding hands. He asked her, you're not angry with me? And Amber said, no. How could I be angry? I understand. She wanted to trust and believe Scott all over again and believe what he was saying because, once again, she had no idea he actually had a wife. So, why would she feel like he's lying about that? What are you looking at? (laughs) All right. She also felt compassion for him. And where I got this stuff that I'm going to read to you, she's actually talking to Matt. Oh my god, what the hell's his last name? Matt Lawyer? You know that perv guy who was on like that show? I got it from ABC News where he Oh, you guys know who I'm talking about. Where he like tried to do some like sexual advances towards like that one intern or whatever, that guy. I don't know if any of that's true. I think it's true. But and I remember looking seeing it, but yeah, him. So, I didn't, like, write what Matt asked her. Um, I just wrote, like, what Amber said, and I can, like, remember bits and pieces. So, he did ask her, like, if she felt compassion for him, and she agreed that, yeah. At the time, Amber did not know that this was all completely false. In fact, all we know... in, In fact, we all know, sorry... That Lacey was well alive and carrying their son, Connor. We all know that. Poor Amber didn't. She also didn't know he was using the internet to study ocean currents in San San Francisco Bay. And she didn't know on that same day that he bought... I lost my page. Oh. That he bought a secondhand fishing boat. Okay, so... 
didn't know that until I started doing research research for the part two. That makes him look super suspicious. Huh. And that was all in the same day, you know, he broke the news to her that he had lost his wife. And that's when he bought the second hand boat. That would actually become a very important key in the murder case against him. Five days later, he actually continued his secret life by taking Amber to a formal dance. He bought her roses, three dozen to be in fact. Like I, like I tell my husband, we have this kind of mutual thing where he doesn't buy me flowers and it doesn't bug me. One, because I can't even keep plants alive. I bought this plant from Home Depot and he bought a plant and his plant is still alive. My plant died within the first week. I kill a lot of... <laughs> I kill a lot of plants and flowers. Mind you, he's over on the couch nodding, going, yep, 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 <laughs> that's right. But we have this mutual agreement that he doesn't buy me flowers because he's like, they're just going to die anyway. If I'm going to buy you flowers, I'll just buy you fake ones so then you'll have them forever, which is very smart and thoughtful now that I think about it because I'm like, yeah, okay, and flowers are just very expensive. But Scott bought her three dozens of roses. That same night... A hundred miles away, Lacey attended a Christmas party alone because Scott said he had to go on a business trip. And guys, where where was Scott? Where was Scott, may you ask? He decided to stay the night at Amber's. He didn't go on no fucking business trip. Lying. Ugh. So that was like, I guess, like lie number four. That he told Lacey. Well, that's lie number one he told Lacey. I mean, he told Lacey a lot of lies. But that's lie number one that I saw so far that he told Lacey. Lie number four that he told Amber was that he was going to go on a long trip to Maine for the holidays. And that he actually wouldn't be around much because he would be with his parents. Hence Maine because that's where they live. And that he was actually going to go celebrate the New Year in Europe and he was going to do some business and I believe the guy the friend he said he was going to be staying with was like Pasquale Pasquale I listened to that on I listened to that on straight up evil I think that's what the name was so yeah he was like I'm just not going to be I'm not going to be in the area you can't call me I'm going to spend some time with my family and then go to Europe but he was actually going home to his wife Something Amber never really expected. Until she asked where she could send him a Christmas gift. And Scott gave her a post office box in Modesto. 80 miles from Sacramento where Scott claimed that he had lived. This was the first time her heart sunk. And you know, Matt asked, well why did you feel like that your heart was like sunk and everything she got very like teary-eyed and she said that was the first time that she felt like things weren't sounding right where these like bells and whistles were going off her head like bitch back up you know that's not right if he lives in sacramento and he has his own place why can't you just send it to his his address why do you have to send it to a post office box in modesto 80 miles away nobody he says he's not from Modesto, she was under the impression he lived in Sacramento. So bells and whistles were just going off. 
Lie number five, Scott repeatedly would call Amber over the next few days and lied about his travels. Scott told her he was duck hunting with his dad in Maine, but like I said, he was actually getting a haircut that day by Lacey's sister Amy near his home in Modesto. Amber then went to bed later that night, but she actually woke up in the early hours of the morning after a terrible nightmare. She said her nightmare was about a man tickling her daughter so violently that the child couldn't breathe, and then she kept seeing a face, and this face was of a woman. Knock it off. <laughs> and the woman was laughing, and Amber kept yelling, quit laughing, she can't breathe. And Amber kept yelling all of that because she couldn't breathe, and then she ended up waking up. And she couldn't breathe as well, so she woke up. And later, Amber be actually became convinced that the woman laughing in her dream was Lacey. Which, I don't know if that's true. I wrote that, but that's what she told Matt on the N NBC News. So I put it in there because I was like, huh. I guess that happens. I don't know. Um, and... It was the morning of December 24th on Christmas Eve, the day the investigators believed that Scott dumped Lacey's body out of the new boat that he just bought into the chilly waters of the San Francisco Bay. Probably that's, I mean, that makes the most sense because why were you looking up, you know, ocean currents and stuff like that if you weren't going to dump her body there? But the police believe that. On December 26th, the police searched the Peterson home, and they actually impounded Scott's truck and Lacey's Land Rover, the one Scott mentioned to Amber that he might be selling. All of this was on TV, but Amber didn't really watch TV. So she actually never heard of Lacey Peterson, and she had no idea what the fuck was going on. She thought Scott was on a flight to Paris... Remember, because he said he was going to Europe to celebrate New Year's, Amber did call Scott to leave him a message on his cell phone so that he'd get that when he landed. But Scott fucked up. This is where he messed up and Amber started to put the pieces together. <laughs> Scott answered the phone. And when he answered, she asked, where are you? And he was like, oh, I'm in New York. And Amber was like, wasn't your, wasn't your flight supposed to leave this, mor this morning? And he was like, yeah, I know. You know, just so nonchalant about it. And Amber said, well, you know, why didn't you call? Um, she then said the Modesto address, the bogus itinerary, things weren't just starting to add up to Amber. And Amber at, flat out asked Scott, you know, okay, that stuff's not making sense. Do you have another girlfriend? Do you have a wife? And this motherfucker was like, no. I know I just lied and did some bogus shit, but no, I don't got a girlfriend and I don't got a wife. <laughs> the nerve on this one, guys. Amber felt bad because she felt like she shouldn't have been having these mistrust issues towards Scott, 
but she had every reason to. Scott told her, you know, you have nothing to apologize for. And then he said sorry and that he should be more considerate with her feelings. You have nothing to, you know, feel bad about. No, Scott, the only person who should feel bad is you because you're over here cheating on your pregnant wife with a mistress. Who knows nothing about your life? Oof. All right. So he basically took blame and Matt asked her that and he was, she was like, yeah, he had this way of like pulling you back in like after you could catch him in like A, B, C lies. He had just this way about him and he would make it all better. So he basically had an answer for everything like guys again, who are we going to talk about? Like Chris Watts. Chris had an answer for everything. When his wife wasn't home, he was like, I don't know. She took the girls to her friends and they're like, what friend? I don't know. She didn't tell me. But okay, any mom, common sense, if I take my kids somewhere and everything, I take my kids' car seats. Chris over here didn't think about that and he left the car seats in her damn Lexus. No responsible parent would not put their children in a car seat. So, Scott had an answer for everything. Chris had an answer for everything. And, oh man. Like I pointed out in part one, um, Amber had that friend in the police department. And I put it in again um, just to... Be like, well, how did she find that? Or just, you know, some people might not just listen to part one. They just might listen to part two. I don't know why. You'd only get half the story. So listen to part one, guys. I forgot to mention that in the first segment of this. Um, so she told her police friend about him, and he said he would check out Scott for her, which any good friend would do. So, guys, if your friend is dating somebody and they're like you know he says he's not married but things aren't adding up do a background check do something check out this person be a good friend and just check him out if they're not married or anything you can go back to your friend and be like oh girl no he's okay like he's squeaky clean and stuff like that that's fine just do that so on December 29th, she actually got an urgent call from her cop friend, and that was at 1.40 a.m., and her friend said, I'm going to give you this number, and you need to call them, and it was the number to the Modesto Police Department, and that call changed everything. And you remember how I said there was, like, this vigil for Lacey that all her, like, family and friends did? And remember how Scott said he was supposed to be celebrating New Year's in Paris? Yeah. Well, in case you guys haven't figured this out, he actually lied and he was calling her from the vigil. I come back around to this in just a tiny bit. When when Amber finally found out the truth, she did become the key player in Scott's trial and she helped him put away like I said in part one. Amber said at that point it wasn't about her. It was really about finding Lacey. She ended up getting in contact with Albert Bronchini of the Modesto Police Department. And they 
The detectives also met Amber in person, asking if she would be willing to record conversations with Scott. She did go on air and everything, and I should have looked up at this one because I believe they had a conversation about it, but I didn't. Um, she did go on air and said, you know, she had no idea that he was married. He told her that she was single. You know, like the basics of like I've been saying in part one and part two. And I keep stressing this stuff because it is not Amber's fault that she didn't, because she didn't know. She didn't know anything. Scott hid that from her and was very meticulous about how he did things. All right. So they asked her if they could, she could record the calls with Scott. As soon as they got everything hooked up and discussed how it worked, Scott ended up calling her and the detectives were like, I can't believe he just called. Holy buckets. Hmm. Amber said she was shaking tremendously, sweating, and she was just a complete mess. Like, she was, like, I believe it said crying. Oh, no, not crying, I'm sorry. She couldn't breathe, and I believe it. The recorded calls actually continued for two months. And I'm going to mention the vigil again, as I stated, because it was to honor Lacey. That was the first one they talked about what they talked about and everything like that and he was like I believe it was like oh the fireworks are so beautiful in Paris and I'm having such a great time blah 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 another call took place in January 6 2003 Scott revealed to Amber that he had been lying to her about traveling to Europe and about being married so he finally came clean Woo! good job Scott you POS Lacey's family, who at first stuck by Scott during the whole initial phase of her disappearance, you know how they said, we never seen her have a temper with her, we never seen him have a temper with her, they didn't fight, they, they believed Scott until all of this came out and they were just shocked at the revelation. They were like, holy shit, this is true, Scott had a mistress. On January 5th, 25th in 2003 Scott and Amber spoke one day after a press conference and it goes like this because I actually wrote it down Scott okay now I need to know from you um I'm going to um speak to the press this coming week Amber when Scott during this week Amber do you have a date Scott um well I'm debating on when it should be done Amber, okay. Scott, because Tuesday is um the State of the Union address. I don't know what that is, so. Amber, okay. Scott, so that will take up a lot of time. Amber, I know it will. Scott, and um, I want maximum coverage, obviously. Um, so it will probably be um, with Good Morning America. Amber's phone conversations with Scott continued at least until February 19th in 2003. They were actually played during his trial in 2004 in Redwood City, California. Now back to the story because that's all with Amber and Scott that I wrote. On April 2003, a couple walking their dog 
had found a decomposing but well-preserved body of a late-term male fetus in a marshy area of the San Francisco Bay shore in Richmond's Point Isabel region, regional sorry, shoreline park north of Berkeley, where where did Scott go fishing, guys? In the Berkeley Marina. Okay? Its umbilical cord was still attached, appearing to have been torn but not cut or clamped as the normal practice after birth. Although the judge sealed the autopsy results, an anonymous Associated Press source revealed that 1.5 loops of nylon tape were found around the fetus neck the fetus's neck and significant cut was on the fetus's body one day later a passerby a bypasser i don't yeah i think it's bypasser i don't know why i said passerby found a body of a recently pregnant woman wearing beige pants and a maternity bra washed up on the eastern rocky shoreline of the bay one mile from where the babe the baby's body was found. The corpse was decomposed to the point of being almost unrecognizable as a human body. The woman had been decapitated and her limbs were missing, including most of her legs. On April 18th in 2003, the results of the DNA test verified that they were the bodies of Lacey and her unborn son, Connor. The autopsies autopsies, I don't know why I'm saying auto, the autopsies on both bodies were performed by forensic pathologist Dr. Brian Peterson. He has no relation to Scott Peterson, but like I had to point that, put that in there. According to the autopsy, Connor's skin was not decomposed at all, although the right side of his body was mutilated and the pl- placenta and unbabit umbilical cord were not found with the baby Lacey's cervix was intact the oh the exact date and cause of Lacey's death were never actually determined she suffered two cracked ribs though Dr. Peterson could not determine if this happened before or after her death Lacey's upper torso had been emptied of internal organs except for the uterus, which is weird, which protected the fetus, explaining that the lower level of decomposition had experienced, I think I, I think I wrote that word wrong. I don't know. That's what I wrote. That's wrong. Dr. Peterson determined that the fetus had been expelled from Lacey's decaying body, though he testified that he could not determine whether the fetus was born alive or dead. There was no food in his stomach, which would have indicated a live birth had it been present. The Associated Press observed that the doctor's testimony appeared to contradict himself. At times, though he stated that he had no cause of death, uh, I'm sorry, that though he stated that no cause of death could be determined for Lacey or Connor, he also said that it was her death that 
caused Connor's death while he was still in the uterus. So very contradicting in that. Scott was arrested on April 18th in 2003 near the La Jala golf course. He claimed to be meeting his father and brother for a game of golf. Golf. His naturally dark brown hair had been dyed blonde and his Mercedes was overstuffed with miscellaneous items including nearly $15,000 in cash, 12 Viagra tablets, survival gear, camping equipment, several changes of clothes, four cell phones, and two driver's license, his and his brother's. Honestly, I believe he was going to skip town. Scott's father, Lee, explained that Scott used his brother's driver's license the day before to get a San Diego resident discount at the golf course, and that Scott had been living out of his car because of the media attention. The police and the prosecution thought the same thing when they saw all of this stuff. They thought when they saw that stuff as an indication that Scott was actually planning to flee to Mexico, because why would you dye your hair? Why would you have two things of driver's license? And even if you did use it for a resident in San Diego to get like that discount or whatever at the golf course, why didn't you give your brother's license back? Why did you have $15,000 camping gear, survival gear, and all? Okay, the change of clothes, if you really were living out of the car, sure, you need clothes to change. But camping gear, four cell phones, and all that stuff? No. No normal person just carries that stuff in their car. I don't carry that stuff in my car. I mean, hello. No, I think he was going to run. And that's why his hair, he tried to change his appearance. So if he fled, like the police think, to Mexico, he wouldn't be recognized. Which, okay, you dye your hair. Sure, if I dye my hair, I still look the same. So people would still point and be like, yep, that's Heaven Holt's apple right there. She dyed her hair. No. On April 21st, 2003, Scott was arraigned. I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Scott was arraigned in Stan Islias County Superior Court before Judge Nancy Ashley. He was charged with two felony counts of murder with premeditation and special circumstances. He pleaded not guilty. Judge Al Gorlami of that same county superior court, that S1 that I'm not going to pronounce again, moved his trial to the San Mato County because so many people in that county had made up their minds about Scott's guilt. His trial began on June 1st in 2004. On November 12th, 2004, Scott Peterson was convicted of first-degree murder for his wife's death and second-degree murder for Connor's death. Calling and the judge, Albert A. Delunci, sentenced Scott to death, calling the murder of Lacey cruel, uncaring, heartless, and callous. In March 2019, the California governor, Gavin Newstone, issued that memoriam for all 700 and, 737 prisoners on death row in Cali, exclu- 
California, excluding Scott, including Scott Nett, excluding, I'm sorry. So they weren't going to be put to death because of the governor's, that thing that he put out. The order postponed all executions for the duration of Newsom's Trunin as governor. California had not executed a prisoner since 2006 due to legal challenges to the state's execution protocol. Um, the governor's order spares the approximately 25 prisoners on death row who have been who had exhausted their legal appeals and could have had their executions moved forward once the legal challenges were resolved. Scott's family said they were in favor of the governor's action. Of course they were. You don't want your son to die. Yeah, you're going to be with that. But they noted his case was likely to be unaffected by this. The family does not believe Scott will actually exhaust all of his legal challenges by January 2027 when the governor would be leaving office assuming his re-election in 2022. The death of Lacey and Connor led to a it led to a bill it's called the pat it's like the passion of Passive of the Unborn Victims of Violence Act, which is also known as Lacey and Connor's Law. On April 1st in 2004, her mom and her stepdad were in attendance when President George Bush signed the bill. The act provides that under federal law, any person who causes death or injury to an unborn child while in the commission of a crime upon a pregnant woman will be charged with a separate offense. On October 21st in 2005, that's Daniel County Superior Court Judge Roger. Oh man, this is a long last name. Buchesny ruled that Scott was not entitled to collect Lacey's $250,000 life insurance policy, having him being com- convicted of her murder. Under California state laws, criminals may not profit from the insurance policies, and on December 19th, 2005, the money was actually given, I believe, to her mom, Sharon, as the executor of her estate. In 2006, Sharon wrote a book for Lacey, and it is called A Story of Love, Loss, and Justice, a biography and memoir about Lacey's life and death. All Proceeds are used to fund the Lacey and Connor search and rescue, which she founded on January 19th. I'm sorry, in, on January 29, 2006, it was listed as number one on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list. Lacey's stepfather, Ron, actually died in his sleep at his Modesto home on December, jeez, oh on April 8th. 2018 at the age of 71 after a lengthy period of failing heart this is the reason i said december he was buried next to lacey and connor and lacey's father dennis died december 8th on 2018 at the age of 72 on august 24th in 2007 in 2020 in a seven to zero decision on the supreme court of california they up upheld Scott's conviction, but they did overturn his death sentence because in Scott's trial, 
the judge Alfred Del Cini, who had died actually in February 26, 2008, had dismissed jurors who opposed capital punishment without asking them whether they could put their views aside. Justice LaRondra Kruger explained that per U.S. Supreme Court ruling since the 1968, jurors may not be excused merely for a opposition to the death penalty in accordance with their oath this is the meaning of a guarantee this is the meaning of a guaranteed of an impartial jury okay and that's the case of the Lacey uh, Lacey Peterson and Connor murder um Scott's probably going to get a new trial I seen something on Facebook about it a couple months ago. I'm going to keep very my eyes very closely on this case because I want to see what happens. Like I told you guys in part one, um, my husband does have different views than I do, which I can see why, you know, I hate to play devil's advocate. Okay, him fishing, like her body being found, like in the area of the Barkley Marina, Yes, that's, I mean, you're pretty close. Did you dump the body? Probably. But, I mean, hardcore evidence, I guess it would be hard, but I didn't go into the nooks cranny. A lot of people, you know, there are people who, like his sister-in-law, um, is very, very, a very, very big supporter of his case that he did not kill Lacey and you know everyone can have their own opinion that's fine because nobody knows what happened except for Lacey and Scott if he killed her which I believe he did <sighs> but we'll see because I definitely think he's gonna get a new trial for this and um when he gets a new trial we'll follow the case and then we'll up We'll update it and we'll see where he stands, but he's still in prison, so that's that case, guys. <sighs> Told you that was a tough one. Um I think we're gonna keep it in we're gonna keep it in the vicinity of um husbands killing wives. We're gonna cover next we are going to be covering the murder of um Susan Powell? Susan Cock Powell? Oh, I forget. It's I think it's Susan Powell. Hold on, let me look it up real quick. Um Yeah, Susan Powell. I don't know why I said Cox. Oh, you know what? I know why. Because that is her isn't that like her maiden name or whatever? But we're gonna be doing we're gonna be doing her case next. I'm probably gonna research a little bit tonight. Um and everything so that could be uploaded for Wednesday. That's just gonna be a one parter. Unless I find more out. Cause that's a crazy that's a crazy case itself. But that is it guys. If you want to send me a Gmail 
I told you my email last time, but we're going to tell you at the end of this episode, which is now. It's all lowercase, no spaces, just a girl in true crime at gmail.com. You can also follow my Instagram at the same thing at just a girl and true crime. You can also follow my Facebook page at just a girl and true crime. I forgot that I was going to say you could send me um, voice messages through this link. So my next case, I'm actually going to write that down in my book so I know how to do it. Um, HelloFresh, please sponsor me once again. I know we talked about this last time, but let's go. Well, guys, that's it. Crazy case. And I will be talking to you guys Wednesday. Bye!